Amen. Good evening. Good evening. Okay. So, welcome back, those of you who are coming from Uganda. It's great to have you here. Um, I don't normally title my messages. And uh, now I'm realizing the reason why is because I can't remember the title I put down for the message. Um, but I think it was meant to be something like this. Um, lessons from the backside of the desert. So if you're joining us for the first time on a Wednesday night or just recently, we've been going through the book of Exodus. Uh, so if you would, turn there please. Exodus chapter 3. And we're going to look at uh, all of chapter 3 this evening, just 22 nice verses. So hopefully things might be short, or at least sweet. Lessons from the backside of the desert. Lord, uh, we have so much to glean from this evening. Uh, More, I'm sure, than what I'm even capable of seeing this evening. But Father, your word and your spirit has the ability to do in us what no one else can. So we pray just for that very thing to take place here this evening, Lord. We give you this time, we give you this night, and as my wife prayed as we were coming here, um, may we realize this is a night you want to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. I needed that reminder. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. He led the flock where? To the back of of the desert, where we get our title from. Nothing mysterious about it. Our text is talking to us about the backside of the desert. Uh, We have a ranch property on several acres. And recently, we've been winterizing the property. We've been trying to make sure that anything that doesn't have a home finds a home. Anything that's out of place gets put into place. And oftentimes, the last place that we get to is the backside of anything. We have a shop. Um, at the beginning of our getting this property in the spring, looking behind that shop, um, there's still things back there. I'm not exactly sure how they got back there or why they're back there. But one thing's for sure, it's the backside. And it's the last side that gets our attention. Why? Nobody sees it. It's the forgotten about side. Maybe you own a home and you have a backside. And you know what I'm talking about. It's that place where you can just throw everything and hide it. It's messy. It's neglected. It's kind of forgotten about. It's this dream. This uh, You keep telling yourself, I'm going to get to it. But you never get to it. Never quite comes around. Um, so what is so good about the backside of the desert. We actually have one of our office buildings on the backside. Uh, You'd notice if you drove down the alley, it's not finished. Um, It's still not finished, although the rest of the building is. Why? It's the backside. 
When we did our renovations at Mudman Kalispell, we tried to get away with not renovating. Guess which side was it? The backside. Why was it that we were going to leave the backside? Unfortunately, they came and did a drive-by and said, um, you told us you were renovating all sides, so we can't stamp off. And of course, then a team of us came and in a day or two, we finished out the backside. So can good things come from the backside of life, from the backside of the desert? The backside of what? As if the desert wasn't worse enough as it is, there is a backside to it, I guess. I'm sure directionally speaking, it was a term for the direction in the desert, the backside of the desert. But can good things come out of the backside of the desert? And uh, that's what I want to discover this evening. Is that really possible? In verse 1, we uh, make note that Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. Now, this was not a new thing for Moses. This is something Moses had been doing for 40 years, tending the flock of his father-in-law. You would think that after 40 years... Moses might have had his own flock, at least his flock and his father-in-law's flock. By that time, after 40 years, one might just think he's, he's merited, he's, he's warranted, he's deserved, he's earned to have his own flock. Uh, the ministry has a few diesel trucks, and these trucks are um, something that I would say I tend after from time to time. Other weeks, it takes up a lot more of my time, like this past week as we're doing a few projects on one of them. But after six, seven years of doing this, um, tending, taking care of these diesel trucks, there's this thought that wells up in my mind, this desire in my heart of, one day I'd love to have my own diesel truck. One day I'd love to be able to take care of it and drive it and know that it's mine. It's my own. And I have to wonder... After 40 years, had that thought ever crossed Moses' mind? You know, you start to kind of get to like the things you're doing. And and a desire wells up, and you want to have that thing for your own. Maybe it is, you see contractors, they renovate, they, they redo home after home, and eventually they realize, I want to redo my own home. That, that desire kind of springs up, tending after another man's flock, and yet we see Moses living in obscurity, living in a humble life. We don't make notation that after 40 years he had had much accounted to him other than simply tending, faithfully watching after his father's flock. I really couldn't tell you if in 40 years, um, hopefully we're still cleaning those trucks in 40 years. That would be a miracle. But... If after 40 years, I still never had a truck, I just wonder, could I do it? Would I be able to go on and just tending after another man's things and being okay with it? The backside of the desert. That word desert, it's actually the first time in Scripture that we see that word introduced. Never before been mentioned up to this point. And... uh, Desert. It's, it's an interesting word. 
when you look at it by definition. But maybe you've heard before, uh, if you've spent any time in the church, it's possible that you've been around and you've heard someone coming and they're bringing before you their credentials and they're saying, my credentials, I have a, a BSD. I have a backside of the desert degree. I haven't gone to college. I haven't been to seminary, university, but I I went through the school of hard knocks. I've done some time with the sheep. I've been out in the desert. Or maybe it is that you found yourself as a follower of Christ, looking at a season of life you've been in and saying, I'm in a desert place. This is a desert season in my life. But we, we look at it and talk about it And I'm guilty of doing this as if it were a bad thing. But notice, by definition, desert, midbar, one of the literal translations is mouth. Instrument of speech. And a desert is is literally an instrument for the Lord to take us to a place so that He can speak to us. And we're going to see that He does that. In Moses' life. However, how does he do it? Well, back in chapter 2, verse 22, it tells us now it happened in the process of time. It happens when? In the process of time. For Moses, it just so happened to be that it was going to be 40 years. That's, that's a long process of time for Moses. But God took him to a desert, a place where he wanted to speak to him. Desert places are not bad places. It's a place where God meets us to speak to us. However, it's a process. Life is a process in that way. Verses 2 and 3. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. Now, for Moses, having been in the desert for 40 years, it's possible that this would not be the first time he's ever witnessed a burning bush. However, this for certain is the first time he's ever witnessed a bush that's burning and yet cannot be consumed. So much so that it catches his attention. And he says, I will now turn aside. Turn aside. That was Moses' response to this. Where was Moses at the time? He was tending the sheep. How long had Moses been tending the sheep for? We know that it was sometime around 40 years. And and we could probably be safe to say, surely there was a, a time in his life where he must have passed by this place before. And the pattern, and the routine, and the monotony of tending after the sheep. This path that Moses was treading on may not have been no new place to him. And yet something caught his attention in the routine, in the mundane that caused him to stop and to will to turn aside. And I think for some of us this evening, that's a word for us that we need to turn aside 
in the routine, in the mundane, in the monotony. Just like you're following my voice, routine, mundane. Okay? Don't turn aside tonight. Verse 4. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. When the Lord saw, God called. So we've got three terms being thrown at this burning bush now that's burning in such a way that it's not being consumed. First, we are told it's the angel of the Lord and the angel of the Lord appeared to him. And then next, though, we have it being put when the Lord saw, and finally, God called. What is this burning bush? Or better yet, who is this burning bush? None other than Jesus Christ Himself, the angel, the messenger of God. God coming and making Himself known, appearing to man, This is a picture. This is a manifestation of Christ. This is the literal presence of God making Himself known now before man to Moses. And in verse 5 then, what is the outcome of that? Then He said, Do not draw near to this place. Take off your sandals, off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. You see, sometimes when we turn aside, when we turn aside and when we realize and get a glimpse of this burning bush that's, that's a consuming fire and, and it cannot be consumed, when we turn aside, we might be asked to take something off in our lives. And for Moses, it was turn aside and it was take off your sandals. Think about the thing that Moses was being asked to take off. Take off your sandals. Moses, take off your journey. Take off your credentials. Take off where you've been. Take off how you got here. Take off who you are. Moses, take off your sandals. You have done nothing to get here. You don't deserve what is about to come your way. Take them off. Your shoes are dirty. You're bringing filth to the table. Moses, you bring sin. Take it off. Why? You're standing on holy ground. But what makes the ground holy? Is it because God's present? Isn't God always present? So then wouldn't the ground always be holy, then shouldn't we always walk around barefooted? Not the case. Think about this in other cultures, and, and maybe uh, for sure those who have spent time in Asia, but perhaps even uh, traditionally so, taking off your shoes is customary when entering a home. In many cultures, it's, it's customary. And so, in a sense, Moses is entering God's house. And he's saying, you're entering into my presence. You're entering into my home. This is where I'm dwelling. Take off your shoes. Take off your shoes. Why? This was a specific place, an appointed time where God was meeting with Moses. And this was a place for Moses where it was going to become real. 
This was a special moment in time. And God wanted Moses to realize that. And so as we're being asked to turn aside, and it's, it's the routine of life that Moses found himself in. As, as you turn aside and get a glimpse of this burning bush that cannot be consumed, what might it be that the Lord will ask you to take off? I'll let Him do that. And notice the final thing that's said to him. Do not drop, draw near. Literally, he's, he's, he's saying, stop moving closer, Moses. Just, just stop. Realize, you have nothing to do with me. My bush burns and it is not consumed. I am God. Take off your sandals. My ground is holy ground. And I made a covenant with your fathers. Moses, I am not you. You are not me. You are different than I. Stop drawing near. Do not come closer. Yet, in all of that, and all of God making it very clear how separate He is from man, yet, what do we see in the text other than Moses, Moses. Moses, Moses. We see the double call that we find throughout Scripture. We see the urgency of the Lord. First found Abraham, Abraham. And then, as we would go throughout Scripture, we would see Samuel, Samuel, Simon, Simon, Martha, Martha, and Saul, Saul. The double call of God. And now Moses, God being so clear about who He is, about how high above Moses He is, yet He wants to call Moses by name. Maybe for some of us in here, we need to have this same revelation that perhaps Moses could have had in this time. Moses must have been going, you mean there's someone out there other than the sheep who know my name? There's someone who knows that I'm here? I've not been forgotten about? These past 40 years haven't been unseen. Moses, as an 80-year-old man at this point in his life, what was coming his way would, would leave no regrets. There would be no regrets for him about where he had been, about the backside of the desert, about the questioning of could good things really come from the backside of anything, let alone the backside of a desert. I love in John 10 when we find that Jesus says, I am the door. He, he's he's the, um, the, the doorkeeper of the sheepfold. And He says, I call my sheep by name. He calls His sheep by name. Do you know that this evening? Maybe you do know that. But are you breaking from the routine? Are you, are you looking at the burning bush that cannot be 
consumed. There is power in being called by name. Uh, I believe that the eight who are here, who have just got back from Uganda, got to witness perhaps day in and day out the power that lies within calling a person by name. As they were out ministering to children, there's nothing more impactful in this young child's life than being remembered, than than being known, than knowing that you're known, that you've not been forgotten about, that someone knows you by name. Imagine for Moses what this moment must have been like for him as he realized God's not forgotten about me and he knows me by name and he's urgently calling for me. In verse 6, moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. We have to appreciate the way that the Lord continues to interact now with Moses, making sure Moses understands that, look, Moses, long before this started with you, with us, Here, now, it started where? With Abraham. It started way back with a covenant. Moses, you are standing on covenantal grounds. That's how you stand here. Do not forget Moses. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob. And I come to you on covenantal grounds. I come to you on a promise. You wouldn't be here, Moses communing with me if it had not been for this covenant that had been made. In all of this talking about the burning bush, our ability to gaze on this burning bush, may we never forget the ground we stand on. What ground? We can't stand if it were not for the covenant that had been made with us, that that God sent His Son, Jesus, to die for us, to bring us back into a right-standing relationship with the Father so that we could stand and be in communion with Him. Moses, don't forget you're on covenantal grounds. May we not forget that either. Verse 7, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians Oppress them. We, we draw here from our text. He sees you. He hears you. And He knows you. He sees us. He hears us. And He knows us. And we're in the desert thinking He's forgotten about us. Only to realize He remembers us by name. Moses, Moses. Insert yourself. Feel forgotten about this evening. He knows you by name. 
The craziest thing to me in all of this is, is how often I forget to come to him about his business. Here's an example. We're talking about a group who's come back from Africa. So Potter's Field has a training school called Ignite. And our interns go out and they come in. And there was a, a few of us on staff who uh, were praying for the interns coming back who were re-entering. And as we're seeking out to put detail and make plans, how foolish would it be if, if we forget to look to the one who actually sees, hears, and knows, who really truly cares way more about people, about the things of God than, than any of us do. And, and yet, sometimes, I, I can even tell you, sometimes in teaching God's Word, really getting and, and hearing from Him that way, sometimes it could seem like a step away from what's going on. But in reality, wouldn't we want to step towards Him who knows what's going on, who sees all, who hears all, who can give us a heart? And in a simple prayer for those interns, I can attest, God gave me more of His heart for them that I didn't have before. And so how silly it is that we sometimes don't even come to the one who sees, hears, and knows. And not only that, so I have come down. So I have come down. I love that. So I have come down. Why do I love it? We live in a world and in a culture where people are seeking to come up. I'm on that come up. If you've ever spent time on the streets, I think that's what they say out there. We want to work our way up. We want to build our life. We want to build a name for ourselves. We want to be some, someone. We want to bring something home. We want to have something. Not the Lord. He wanted to come down. That's the Lord. He wanted to come down. He didn't want to come up. He wanted to show up. He wanted to show up. And I have to think about myself as a father realizing Sometimes I want to I want to live from above thinking that just giving is going to take care of it all when in reality by giving from above God doesn't just give good gifts he comes down by giving from above I don't have to come down I don't have to step aside from my way it's a lot easier to just give, just provide, just throw something here, just do this task, do that, do that chore. But to actually come down, to show up, to be there, that's a, a whole different thing. I don't know about you, but I want to learn more what it is to come down. And, and I pray that we would realize what it is to come down. Why the Lord wasn't living for the come up. He was living for the show up. And, and may we, like him, that example, want to show up. I want to look for ways to come down, to care, to understand, to come down from what it is that I want to do, to give myself. Verse 10. Come now, 
Therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Come now, therefore, and I will send you. Now Moses is getting a commission from the Lord. Where was this commission coming from? The backside of the desert. Do good things come from the backside of anything, let alone the desert? Yes, the call of God came to Moses in the backside of the desert. Forty years of it at that. Doing what? Tending after another man's flock. And now Moses gets a commission from where? From a burning bush. Some, some cred he now had. Where'd you get your call? Where'd you get your degree? A burning bush? A burning bush. Where do you think that you have to be in order for God to call you? Are you trying to get somewhere so that God can see you and, and call you from there? Or are you realizing He sees, He hears, and He knows? And He calls us even in our obscurity. Moses was in an obscure place. Time doesn't allow, but Scripture would tell us God called men time and time again out of obscurity, out of places of loneliness, places of keeping their head down, sticking to the grind. Verse 11, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Moses is now well trained. His 40 year degree is finally paying off. Why? This is a different man. We, we see a different Moses. 40 year old Moses and 80 year old Moses. Two very different men. God's got him right where he wants him. However, perhaps Moses' take on where God had him was a little incomplete. Sometimes our take on the backside of the desert can become a little incomplete. Oh, we know and we agree with Moses we're poor in spirit. But sometimes we think we're trampled in spirit. Our spirit's been taken from us. Everything I was is stripped away. Who am I? I don't know who I am anymore. My, my wife and I, when, when we're calling each other out, there's this little thing. That, that we say to kind of give one another a hard time. Just teasing around. Woe is me. We say that to each other. And it just plays over in my mind. Woe is me. Woe is me. Just, it's all about me. It's all about you. Woe is me. Who am I? Moses is right. Who are you? Moses, you're right. You, you are a nobody. But blessed are the poor in spirit. Not period. Comma. The, the verse goes on. For what? For theirs is the kingdom of God. You're poor, you're right. You bring nothing, you're right. But great. Why? Because now you get access to the kingdom. Now you can inherit now I can give you what you otherwise would have never had on your own. Moses is not even the same guy at this point in his life. I love this little nugget in here at the end of verse 
uh, 12. Well, uh, yeah, in, in 12 we'll read. And so he said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God on this mountain. You shall serve God on this mountain. How funny, how humorous could that have come to Moses? This mountain? You mean this place? This barren desert land that for 40 years I've been here? I haven't seen anybody come to this mountain. What do you mean, Lord? You shall serve God on this mountain? When you have brought the people out, there's going to be people on this mountain? Pastor Mike talks about the time up here in Montana for Pottersfield Ministries when there really was just uh, enough of us that we could all fit in one car. There, there was more up here than that, but there was kind of a core group who had just come out of the Ignite program. And we joke about, and I could just imagine if we were there and the Lord said, I'm going to bring a bunch of people and you're going to worship me on this mountain, we would have just laughed. Like, no way. No way is anybody else going to come up here. I remember just thinking that to myself. No way. With God, there's a way. How much of a way? Men's homes of discipleship, girls' homes of discipleship, training program, people living in Whitefish, Columbia Falls, Callus Bell. The Lord, He's able to do that. But I can just see, I can just imagine for Moses the humor this could have brought. Trying to imagine what it would be like for anyone else to be on that mountain. We know it will become a mountain and a place that's referenced throughout Scripture. Verse 12 also said this, I will certainly be with you. I will certainly be with you. Moses, who am I? The Lord, I will certainly be with you. I know who you are, Moses. However, but I will be with you. You know, this could have been a really great time for the Lord to encourage Moses. To to boost his self-esteem. To just come and wipe the tears away. Of the pain of the past 40 years. To give him a little boost. To give him a little build up. To encourage him a little bit. They're going to love you Moses. You're going to be their guy. You're going to do great Moses. They're all going to like you. The Lord doesn't say that. He just says. I will certainly be with you. Moses. No, no, no. Moses. I'll be with you. And in verse 13, Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? So, so Lord, alright, you want to send me before these people. Let's go. But, who do you want me to tell them is sending me? I need some credentials here. I need, I need someone to give a shout out to. Who's this going to be? Verse 14, And God said to Moses, 
I am who I am. That's it. I am who I am. That's, that's supposed to boost my self-confidence, Lord. That's supposed to make me feel better. You are who you are. What, what does that even mean? I am who I am. That's what you should tell him. That's going to free him. I am who I am. That'll make him flee. You want to know the best translation of this? It's deep, so get ready. I am who I am. That's the best. All the arguments, all the scholars, all the digging in, and all the things they've tried to come up with, and they can't. Why? I am who I am. It's who God is. I am who I am. Why is it that Moses is, is told this? God is told, Moses is told by God, I am who I am because he simply is. You ever ask this question, who made God? God, who made you? I am. Where did you come from? I am. How, how do you answer that back? Simply put, God's always existed. As long as time has been, He's existed. And long as time will be, He will exist. He is. I am. But the idea also carries the idea of the becoming one. God says, I am who I am. There is an idea here of the becoming one. How is that so? God becomes whatever you and I are lacking in. Whatever you and I are lacking in, God gets to fill in the blank to that. He gets to meet our need. How does this work? When I'm hungry, we can look and realize God says, I am the bread of life. You're hungry? Well, that's good. I'm the bread of life. You're in darkness. You're in a dark place. You can't see very well. I am the light of the world, Jesus said. You're insecure. You're not sure. You're not sure if all you're doing is measuring up. You're not sure if you're going to get in. I am the door. I am the door. He fills in where we're lacking. You're withering. You're wasting away. You're, you're, you're shriveling up. I am the true vine. I am the true vine. You're wanting. You're not content. You're wandering. I am the good shepherd. You're stuck in a rut. You're stuck in a place and you can't get out. I am the resurrection and the life. And finally, of the I am statements by Christ. There's plenty of things we know about the I am's that come from the Old Testament. But here is our focus is these I am statements. And lastly, you're not sure of your way, not sure where you're supposed to be going. Is this right? Is this wrong? Jesus says, I am the way. I am your way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. God is the becoming one. Becoming what? Becoming what we need. He becomes what we need. He is the great I am. 
I am whatever I need to be as it relates to my people. That's who God is. How's that for a confidence booster? I don't know about you, but that does it for me. Why? You're not. God is. Period. You're not. God is. That's, that does something for me a lot better than you'll do good, pal. Verse 15. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus, you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Wait, this is your name forever, Lord? This wasn't just for Moses. This wasn't just going to be about them and the exodus and the, the leaving the Red Sea. This is forever, like as in today, for us, forever, always. This is who God is. I am who I am. I want you to remember me. This will be my name forever. In verses 16 and 17, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared to me saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. You see here, uh, just as we prayed, just as I mentioned, my, my wife prayed, Moses realized after 400 years of silence, this was the day God wanted to speak. Now, now was the time, now was the time that God wanted to speak. Imagine for Moses being the man who just received that job. Imagine that being your job, breaking the silence. And that God now wants to speak, wants to address, wants to let them know that He knows, that He's seen, He's heard, and their cries have made it to Him. Verse 18, and this will be important, and I know where Jordan's going to take us into chapter 4 for next week, and just keep this in mind, verse 18, Then they will heed your voice, and you shall come, and you and the elders of Israel to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, God confirm, Moses, you are the guy. They're going to listen to your voice, Moses, you're the guy. And in our closing out this text now, verses 19 through 22, but I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be, when you go, that you shall not go empty-handed. If, if you were in Africa, they would say, Praise the Lord, church, right there for that. 
Verse 22, but every woman shall ask her of her neighbor, namely, of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. You know what I love about that? Been plundered by the world, been treated unfairly, been taken advantage of, been, been treated the slave. God's hand, God is mightier than the might of this world. Take heart, I have overcome the world, he says. Whatever goods have been plundered to you, he wants to restore. Maybe you're sitting here and the world has taken from you and it's made you to be someone. Not so. Doesn't have to be so. Why? His hand is mightier and he wants to deliver you. He wants to take you out of that. And He wants to restore what goods the world has taken from you. And surely the world plunders our goods. Why? We're enslaved. We're in bondage. And it's taking from us. But when you go, you shall not go empty. So we've learned some things from the backside of the desert. Just an interaction, an encounter... But much more than that, what was taking place was after 40 years, God was showing up and so much must have been stirring in Moses in this time. And so I wonder, are you calling the desert a, a bad place because it's dry? May it not be so. Why? It's an instrument. God has you there. He wants to speak to you there. And maybe tonight you need to turn aside, break out of the routine, the monotony, the mundane. Turn aside and be ready to take off. Be ready to to be asked to perhaps remove something from your life. Take away from your journey. Lay down your credentials, your desires, your ambitions for your life. Maybe it is that you're being asked to take off your sandals. And if that's not what the Lord has spoken to you, then may we remember we're poor in spirit. Yes, Lord, who am I? Who am I? However, the, the, the better question is not who am I, but who are you? And, and the Lord would say back to Moses, Moses, the better question, Moses, is not who are you, Moses, but who am I, God? And, and may that be our focus and our question. We know who we are. You're not. God is. And praise God for that. We can be thankful for that. Why He's the great I am in our lives. And maybe you've been plundered. Maybe you've been trampled. Taken advantage of. Life isn't fair. There is a deliverer. Who rules with a mighty hand. Scripture tells us. He said, Egypt, Pharaoh, he's a strong ruler. Moses, you're not going to be able to do this one on your own. But, but I know somebody. My hand happens to be stronger than the hand of Pharaoh. Egypt, the world. God can overcome the world. And, and when he delivers you, he's going to restore unto you. And that joy of salvation, amen. So uh, worship team can come up and... Uh, Father, we thank you for 
the word this evening. Lord, we thank you for the realization that good things do come from the backside of places, even the desert. Pray we wouldn't forget that. That's where we feel we find ourselves. And Lord, would you speak to us the great I am. We could have spent this whole time fixating and focusing on the great I am. Lord, you are so many things to us. You have revealed yourself in so many ways to us. God, provider. So Lord, may we leave here. And may we let you fill in the blanks of our lives, understanding that you are, you've told us I am who I am, and you are who you will need to be, Lord. You are the becoming one. So Jesus, we we love you and we thank you that you call us from strange places. And just as the Apostle Paul said, as one who was untimely born, untimely, what a strange time for Moses. Seems untimely, doesn't it? Just another day going down the routine, mundane path of life, and boom, a burning bush that cannot be consumed. You, you show yourself to him, Lord. Show yourself to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.